Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the newly announced Strange New Worlds. But before we get into that, a brief word about the ongoing protests and the Trekkies Together campaign. Uh, we are recording on the 5th of June 2020, and the protests that were initially sparked by George Floyd's death um, have been going on for almost a week now. They're continuing. There are uh, protests in my tiny, tiny New England state all the way through June 19th. Wow. So it's not something that's going to calm down anytime soon, I don't think. So I think that this will still be relevant in a couple days. <laughs> and Basically, uh, Star Trek fan sites and podcasts are coming together to stand against racial discrimination and police brutality because we think that those things uh, go against Star Trek ideals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the suggested donation is $47. I don't really understand why 47 is an important number, but there are, like, there's... A recurrence, many recurrences of the number 47 in all of the Trek uh, since I think Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. I think is when it started. So for that reason, um, the the $47, and because it's sort of a, it's a low enough, you know, that you, people who, you know, might look like me, <laughs> look at their bank account and think, I also have to pay my mortgage. Yeah. Um, that, you know, feel like they can make that contribution and have it stand for something. So the suggested donation is $47 or however much you are able to give made to the ACLU, a Black Lives Matter organization, or a bail fund or outreach program in your local community. We don't have an ACLU in Australia. We kind of need one. Uh, there are lots and lots of organizations supporting Australian Black Lives Matter and justice for Indigenous people and African Australians who are also not treated very well by our police and justice system. Uh, I will tweet out a list of possible organisations and fundraisers. My favourite is the GoFundMe for Free Her, which is run through the organisation Sisters Inside. Basically, Western Australia has a law which says if you cannot pay a fine, you have to serve time in prison. And this disproportionately affects Indigenous people, particularly Indigenous women. So Free Her raises money to pay those fines and get women out of jail. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, the bail project is similar in that it's no one should be stuck in jail for months at a time just because they're poor. Yeah. And can't pay the bail. It's just ridiculous. It's so. terrible. Uh, if you're in Australia or anywhere in the world, really, have a Google around and find out what your local uh, legal uh, organisations are. Uh, there's in various Indigenous legal services often rely on donations from the public. And there are a lot of other groups too, including in Australia, individual communities and families raising money to investigate the deaths of their loved ones in police custody. All right. Now let's talk about Star Trek. <laughs> it's so hard to pivot from this serious and terrible matter to Star this Trek. This particular topic. Because <laughs> it's being very, very much sold as a return to 
the bright, shiny, happy people version of Star Trek that certain portions of the fandom have been clamoring for. You know, when it was first announced, I looked at it and thought, it is 2020 and you are announcing a brand new Star Trek with an all-white cast. Like, the three characters we know who are in it are all white. And honestly, that feeling just gets hasn't gone away. I, I was very negative about the concept when it first appeared and I'm less negative now but I still have a lot of reservations and even if it turns out to be a great show I think right now the optics are very bad. Yes, this announcement came out before the protests started. Mm. I think that it would have been even more problematic if it came out in the middle of this and that almost makes it more problematic that it that it like looking backwards it's mm. like ooh, we thought it was problematic before and now I just feel really like I understand that these are the three actors who they have under contract that's my my theory that's yes. my assumption yes. is that this is in very beginning stages it's in production those are the three actors that they have a contract for you know lead actors mm. like I get that from from a um, corporate standpoint. Yes. As someone who's strictly anti-capitalist, <laughs> I don't care. Right. I understand and... that there are logistics involved here. And even if there was a fabulously diverse cast, well, no, we would still know who they were. I just... I think they should have waited until they had more than just those three white people. Like, yeah. If they even just included, like, Lieutenant... Amin and and Sirith Indu from the short, short trek at least they are not white <laughs> like at, at least there's that tiny bit of maybe we have some diversity here right and so, yeah but three main white characters and a diverse background cast is still an issue oh yeah absolutely I would expect them to be like I'm a little scared because it really, really feels like they are pushing this, this is your father's Star Trek Yeah, idea. yeah. And for the record, my father's Star Trek was Doctor Who. My mother's Star Trek was Star Trek. I mean, I guess you can sort of look at it like, well, original Star Trek was three white men, and now they have two white men and a white woman. And it's like, you know what? That is not the gotcha you thought it was. It really is <laughs> That not. is not progress, guys. No. Especially when you think about that number one was kicked off, like... Mm. <laughs> she was a part of original original series and maybe it's progress that now she can actually be a part of it but that's only progress for white women that's right. not actual progress like right there's a difference and i love seeing women in roles and i love many many white female characters hello katrina cornwell but there is room for more women of color and people of color to be the heroes of their own stories in star trek and right. this, it just feels like such a retrograde step. In the original series, there were three main characters. Yes. There were only three. Like, in the first season, there were only two. Right. <laughs> who got in the, in, the, in the credits. And McCoy was added mm. for the last two seasons. So the way it's being marketed with these three people being the announced, it really feels like this is the main cast and, like, that, and yeah, anyone added will be secondary. And it should be 
that there are at least seven people in the main cast, quote unquote. That's how it has been since Next Generation. Yeah, certainly one of the complaints about Discovery is that there isn't that big ensemble story. And so if they're trying to recapture the people moaning that Discovery is doing something different, then they need an ensemble cast. So maybe we'll get that. I just, I, I could not get excited about this whole concept. Mm. I could only get excited on it on a shipping standpoint, <laughs> from a shipping standpoint. That's literally the only thing I got excited about. Because, I I mean, you and I, we've both said on this podcast, we don't actually need a Captain Pike show. Like, no! We're the, we're the two lone voices saying, I don't really care about that. So, it's fine. Mm. I'm not opposed to more Star Trek, but... It needs to it needs to be more than just a Captain Pike show. It needs to be more than just this is your father's Star Trek. Like it really it really mm. feels like they're going backwards. I have to confess that I am a massive hypocrite because if Kat was alive, I would be overjoyed at the possibility of another show that she could make appearances in. And I would still be <laughs> I would all of my objections to the retrograde that's a word it's I've decided it's a word all my objections to the concept and the casting and everything else would stand but I would be far far more positive and I just want to confess that I am hypocritical mm. in that respect so what I need to confess is that I am still unable to reconcile my feelings about Kat like I want to delete my playlists from Spotify for her. Like, I haven't posted about her or said anything about her in... I haven't written any fic about her, like, in months. Like, since since season two, I've done nothing for, for or about Kat. Like, I just... I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'm so cut off. It's like I, I cut that out of my life or something. And so I haven't no feelings whatsoever. I can't, I can't imagine that, that, like, I don't know what I would feel if Kat were still alive because I have just completely, I, I don't know how to feel that anymore. There is a song that I have not listened to since she died because it was so closely linked with my feelings about that, mm. that character. And I tried and I almost started crying on the bus and I was like, I am having too many emotions. It is unacceptable. Mm. I don't like it. And then, you know, the other week I watched the uh, interview with Jane Brooke uh, by, from mm -hmm. the guy. Which I loved. It was great. It was so cute and fun and like, yeah, it, it was not polished in any way and I liked that. Like, I just... Yeah, yeah. And she's not the type of actor who really gets to go in depth about her work and career. She has a long career of supporting roles, basically. Mm. And I always find it really interesting to see people with that kind of career talk about their work and their professionalism and the stuff she was saying about, you know, acting is a union unionized job and it's work mm -hmm. and you know that was really enjoyable and then they got talking about Kat's death and she's saying you know she's not going back and I almost started crying again because apparently it's almost a year over a year later and I'm still it's still a fresh wound and I'm like should I go to therapy is this a normal <laughs> amount of feelings to have about a fictional character I mean like I I think that everyone knows I like I am I'll be straight with you I'm not over all of 2019 as a, in in terms of fictional characters who died <laughs> like yeah I just 
I don't know how I'm going to ever heal from all of this because it's still, it's all over my walls. (laughs) I just, I don't know what to, and so, yeah, I, maybe I would be much more into it if Kat was alive and we could have more stories about her, even with Discovery leaving and going into a different time zone. Like, I, I... I can imagine the alternate universe where that would happen and I would be excited, but I, like, I, you know, some people have suggested that she could come back as, as Mirror Cat, or it could be a prequel, and, like, none of that excites me. I don't mind the idea of Mirror Cat, except that I have such firm ideas on who Mirror Cat could be that it would be really hard to let go of them. Like, I would be happy for Jane Brooke, but I wouldn't be happy for me. No. If that makes sense. If it helps, I read an article which said that it is not uncommon for people to become deep, to be deeply affected by the death of a fictional character, and it tends to happen to people who have a great deal of empathy. So we're not complete losers. We're just deeply empathetic. And (laughs) I always swore I wouldn't be the type of woman who tells you first up how how deeply empathetic she is, because wow, what a wank. But... (laughs) We're just Betazoids. Yeah, yeah. We're half Betazoids, I guess. Yeah. Uh, also, my aunt died not long after Cat was killed, so that's... Anyway, I'm just gonna... Yeah. So, so yeah, so that was just my... That's my, my side trip to... Mm. Uh, I don't know when I will start feeling normally about Cat Cornwell again. I hope it's sometime. It would be but nice I to don't... feel normal. I don't know. It's. I don't think it's going to be this year. Like that's <laughs> that's where I'm at, based on how this year has gone so far. It's, it's not. <laughs> there is so much 2020 that it's almost like we don't have space to process anything else that we were processing. Like right. so much of my bandwidth is just, yeah, yeah. Honestly, getting together with you and talking about Star Trek for an hour a fortnight is really good for my mental health. Right, it gives you something to focus on that is... Not life or death. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Mm. You know, maybe you need a little bit of frivolity in order to stay sane. Right. Um, And I'm not saying that Star Trek is frivolous. Like, don't yell at me, people. (laughs) I'm saying that it's not... It's not on par (laughs) with everything else that's going on. I really hope that's not a controversial statement. No. I will say, because like I check Twitter first thing when I wake up, which is a very bad idea, and I strongly recommend not forming that habit. But this was in the good old days when I rolled out of bed and looked at Twitter, and the first thing I saw was the announcement of a new Star Trek instead of a new crime against human rights, which is great. And because I had different standards three weeks ago, I was like, this is terrible. I hate it. I believe I tweeted a picture of a loaf of bread and said something about Star Trek white bread. And then I realized that I was spiraling. So I went out and did some angry gardening for a couple of hours, which is how I sprained my wrist. Uh, But that really did make me feel better. And I strongly recommend pulling weeds Mm. when, when you're spiraling. But it occurred to me as I came in that this is an opportunity to revisit characters like Ash and Laurel and even Sarek and Amanda and all the people who were left behind when Discovery jumped into the future, 
which right. is a loss was a loss that I was really really feeling and, and mm-hmm. so that's when Absolutely. I that's when I felt my first flicker of positivity towards strange new worlds yeah until I started making the list for our notes mm-hmm. for this episode I did I was like I sort of thought of Sarah and Amanda I was like okay they're like related to Spock so mm. they should be in the show right that makes sense but I put Ash yeah. on the on the list, and I was like, I forgot that Ash might get to show up. <laughs> like, I was really upset because his character was mishandled so much that yeah. I, in the end, I loved him. Like, in the end, I was like, you know what? He is such a terrible character that they, they like, twisted into a, a pretzel of what he <laughs> should have been that I love him and I want to see him succeed and I want to see him I want to see more of him mm. you know it was like it was he was mistreated and so therefore I I need more I need I need him to be like not Ash to be redeemed because I don't think that Ash needs to be redeemed I think that the characterization of Ash needs to be redeemed if that makes like yeah the, the difference is is clear that that we need to know when he was a Klingon and when he was not a Klingon and what all of that means and how he feels about it. Right. And we didn't get that. And which is like, I'm okay with it have, having been about Michael and to an extent about Laurel. Like, I'm okay with hmm. them taking the center stage in that story. Like, I'm, I'm good with that. I think that it should, they should be centered. But Ash was sort of you know he was used in this you know he was pulled this way and then he was pulled that way and he, and he was there was a lot of misdirection that I still to this day feel <laughs> was really kind of cruel and and unnecessary and to the detriment of the mm. character so I would like to see more of Ash just being Ash and coming to grips with his own personality right. and his own identity. And if he's now running Section 31, that means his loyalties are no longer being pulled in a million different directions and he can sort of sit down with himself and come to terms with his identity. And also he's running a really sketchy organisation now and I have not forgotten that he's one of the people responsible for declaring Michael and Discovery's secret forever. But as, as much as I'm still mad about that, maybe I'm not so mad at the characters anymore. Mm. I, I think also because Ash and Spock are so clearly grieving when they make that decision that the real people I side-eye are Pike and number one for going along with mm-hmm. it when, you know, these, these guys should not be allowed to make decisions right now. Right. I agree. Mm. Yeah, you know, Pike and Number One were also grieving, so everyone's a mess. This is the positive and optimistic Star Trek. <laughs> the idea that in order to be positive and optimistic, you can't have like there's this whole myth of, which may not be a myth. I don't know that Gene Roddenberry was against conflict. Mm. It it's, was certainly true by the time he got into Next Generation, but he was also experiencing cognitive decline by then. So, you know, do we really want the elderly man with messianic delusions to set the rules? Just the idea that conflict in and of itself is bad is... Mm. Like, look at the world! I know! You need conflict in order to 
take a stand and make change. I know, and I hate that it takes protests and riots to, to make the world better, but nothing else was working. People tried to do it quietly and Absolutely. peacefully, and they were dismissed. And they were told that wasn't acceptable either. Mm. So if, if that's the thing. If conflict is not... Protecting the status quo is always going to be racist and sexist and a, a lot of other horrible things because the status quo is, is something that has been around for centuries is by definition out of touch with current reality. Right, right. And the thing about Roddenberry's so-called optimism, like when Star Trek started, the optimism came in the concepts that humanity would not destroy itself in the Cold War. And I am very into the optimistic idea that humanity is not going to destroy itself. But certainly in the original series, Roddenberry wasn't going, and that means nothing bad happens, and that means humanity does nothing bad ever. There are episodes of the original series about using primitive planets as the grounds for a proxy war with the Klingons. It's mm -hmm. it's all through it. And a lot of that came from DC Fontana and Gene Kuhn rather than Roddenberry himself. They were the ones who really got into the nitty gritty of his utopia. But I think fandom has an idea of what Roddenberry's optimism was and what Star Trek was. And it's quite separate from the reality. Yes. So I'm a, I'm a concerned. Mm. <laughs> I'm concerned that this series is trying to, you know, grasp for, for the golden ring of the carousel that is Gene Roddenberry's vision. Right. It's like, I don't, I don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I want off that carousel. <laughs> like, Roddenberry's vision was all, was all very well, but the work was done by other people. Give me a series about DC Fontana's vision. I, I would oh enjoy that very much. I think the other thing is that it feels like they're pandering to the section of the audience that hated Discovery Season 1 and liked it when Discovery Season 2 was knocking off Next Generation episodes and is mad that Picard had as much social justice content as it did. As it did. Mm -hmm. And why would you pander to those fans? <laughs> Yep. It's it's the rise of Skywalker all over again. It's 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 the Snyder Cut, which is apparently a thing that's going to come out. Gross. <sighs> like, yeah, just stop stop letting those people mm. win. <laughs> because the the at the end of the day, they're still not happy. No. And all of the people who liked what you're doing are also unhappy. Right. So it's like when you try to when you try to appease people who are angry, it doesn't work. No, and particularly, I'm going to call them the alt-right fans. Every, every appeasement just tells them that they can ask for more next time, and they will until there's nothing left. You can't pander to these people. It's like when Voyager was constantly bending over backwards to get that mythical men 18 to 24 year old demographic. And, you know, it was rating really, really well with women. But that wasn't the audience that UPN wanted. Mm hmm. Like. 
Yeah, so as someone who used to read comic books and doesn't anymore because mm. they made it very clear that they didn't want me <laughs> in their audience. Right. It's it gets it gets tiring. It's like I'm I am the, I am the sh- the biggest nerd in my family. I have mm. three brothers. Three <laughs> brothers. No sisters, just brothers. And I am easily the biggest nerd of them all. Because I have a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> you know, I was going to say my brother is much nerdier than me, but on those grounds, I definitely win. Sorry, Jules. So this idea that that women aren't fans, that minorities aren't fans, that queer people aren't fans, like, it's just ridiculous. Right. Like, you know, First of all, those people are just people. Mm. And so the idea that that they can't like Star Trek is just un like it doesn't make sense to me. Anyone can like anything, right? Like Right. They're people. So so that's just crazy. And just that 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 writing a story that happens to include a woman or a black person or a queer person is somehow pandering to that audience. Yeah. And and yet creating an entire series or changing the the series that you have or changing the movie that you have to be more like what the, that vocal minority wants is not pandering. It's like what? Are, like what? What is wrong with you people? Right. You're all. You're just all crazy and wrong. The loudest voices are the ones that get heard, and these days, the loudest voices are the negative ones. And I even see it with our episodes. Like I look at the stats, and episodes where we talk about stuff we dislike get mm-hmm. much, much more, many more downloads than episodes where, you know, my description in the show notes is very positive, and. I don't like that because it sort of encourages me to go harder on the negativity. Um, isn't, right. Isn't, that's, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, it's the, it's the, the YouTube uh, effect where the, the people on YouTube that are complaining about something are the ones that get the most hits. Mm. And then therefore those are the videos that are the most, that show up in your feed the most often. And so they're, just sort of like automatically clicked on because they're shown more often and then they get more popular and it just feeds in itself. And at the end of the day, they're like creating a bunch of negativity out in the world. Yeah, it's and a sometimes loop. like truly horrible <laughs> negativity that they're mm. like radicalizing people. So it's just all it's all bad. And mm. and the positive voices get drowned out because people are People don't want to hear that, and I don't understand. Like, I don't know why liking something is less popular than not liking something. It's also a question of who and where the positive voices are. Because, for example, the big science fiction link blog, File 770, was linking to blog posts about Discovery in its first season, but they were only posting, only linking to the negative ones. And mm-hmm. like YouTubers and basically the, the bloggers that the editors of the site already knew. And I was like, 
I was going, okay, but here I am with my little blog and I'm certainly not uncritical of Discovery at any point, but I was very enthusiastic about it. And there were essays on Tumblr about what the series is doing well and people were saying for the first time, I feel like there is a Star Trek that's for me and I'm not just part of the audience by accident. None of that was getting picked up. Whereas the negativity on Reddit was getting upvoted, increasing its visibility, and yeah. Well, yeah, they don't, because that doesn't serve their thesis. Their right. thesis is discovery is bad for X, Y, and Z reasons. And so you saying, what about T, doesn't help them. And so they just rather say, oh, well, we didn't see that. Right, right. We're not going to amplify it. And so when you have the existing problem of, you know, male bloggers being very negative and also having a higher profile than the female bloggers, it's the, the problem is amplified. And it's really frustrating, not just because I think people should read my blog and, you know, whatever, because, no, you should read my blog. But, you know, it's not just about me. It's about whose voices are being amplified. And one of the, thing I, one of the things that I was trying to do was link to Tumblr posts and Dreamwith posts and the sorts of people whose thoughts were not being shared as widely as Joe negativity on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It's rough. It's rough out there. Yeah. And for every, for every fandom and for every circle, like, mm. they're all just... This is a problem in every fandom I'm in, <laughs> is <laughs> where I'm at. I am in huge fandoms, I am in tiny fandoms, and all of them have this mm. same problem of the very angry vocal minority mm. getting all the attention. And then, you know, there are times when things do need to be criticised, and it's hard because you don't want to sound like one of those people who hate everything. Right. And the people who are on your side start start like downvoting you because you are criticizing, mm. and it's like there's a difference between criticism and I never watched this show, but I hate it because it has a black lead. Like, right, right. There's a line here that, that is that is being. I just. And you don't. I'm sorry. You don't have I get to very like. Worked up because no, I get no. upset. But also, we, we don't have to like something just because it fits certain demographic boxes. Like, I stopped watching Doctor Who when Chibnall took over because I watched the first three episodes with 13, and I really love Jodie Whittaker. I think she's fantastic in the role. I remembered that I hate Chris Chibnall's writing. So, you know, I'm really yeah. sad that I am not consuming the, the first female Doctor with everyone else, but I also know that media is not going anywhere. And one day I will find it streaming or pick up the DVDs and I will watch it and I'll probably like it okay. But right now when it's the current thing, I kind of just don't want to. And that's fine. And that's if everyone just was like that, was mm, like, I don't mm. like this and so I'm not going to watch it, but I'm not going to like get on YouTube and say it shouldn't exist. Right. Right. Like, I, I would like everyone to be like that. <laughs> Gosh. But the thing is that these people know that, like, they make money off of it. Right. Even, it's like their outrage is not even real. <laughs> it's just, it is the, a kernel of outrage, mm. and they explode it in order to get all those views, in order to get all of those voices, 
in order to make a splash and make a name and get money. Right, right. <laughs> this is why I'm anti-capitalist. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> one of many reasons, <laughs> to be clear. And also, we don't have a Patreon. We're not making money off this podcast. I know! <laughs> By the way... Uh, I, I did look into it because I pay 14 US dollars a month for hosting, but we have... We, we average about 100 listeners an episode, so it would be cool if everyone chucked in a dollar, but I don't really think it's worth it, and it's not a particularly uh, egregious amount of money for me to be paying. If that changes, I will let the world know. <laughs> I mean, I have a Patreon, and I have a Ko-fi, and like, I make like $6 a month. <laughs> like, it is not, it's not big bucks here. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't promote it, and I don't... Like, I, <laughs> I'm terrible at it. I am terrible at having those things because it's really sort of anathema to me to be like, hey, give me money for this thing. Because it's like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to need the money. You know, like I said earlier that I have a mortgage and so I can't always give as much money to charities as I want to. And that's true. Mm. But like... I don't want people to pay me to so that I can pay charities. It's like that's yeah. that doesn't seem to solve the problem. Like the charities shouldn't have to exist in the first place. I'm I'm terrible. Yeah. I'm really like <laughs> money shouldn't exist. One of the notes in our thing in our show notes here is optimism versus idealism. <laughs> Uh, which is a rant that you started last week and I started a couple of days before that in our Discord, but so I'm an optimist, okay? I think generally things are going to work out for the best. I thought that before Brexit. I thought that before the 2016 presidential election. Uh, I thought that about COVID. I've got to say optimism doesn't seem to be... It's not working out for you. <laughs> I don't think I can ever stop myself from looking at the bright side to some extent, but optimism doesn't require you to do anything. Optimism is reopening Florida, even though the virus is still rampant and just hoping for the best. Mm. Idealism requires you to do the work uh, and it, it's complicated and it raises questions like what ideals are you pursuing and where do they come from and will your ideals change if new information comes along? And I think I don't want Star Trek to be optimistic. I want it to be idealistic. And mm. I think, generally speaking... It is. Yeah. Discovery is a hugely idealistic show. And so was Picard. It just... Oh, gosh. Picard is so idealistic. It's idealistic to the point of poor writing. Like... Exactly. <laughs> simply being idealistic doesn't cover all sins. But it's a starting point. And so I, I've started to cringe when I see the word optimism because I just, I don't believe in it anymore. Yeah, so I am known for positivity. Mm. And I, I'm not sure it's the same as optimism. Because I think that optimism is like, it's everything is going to be great no matter what. Yeah, regardless of whether and I do anything. positivity is... This is a dumpster fire, <laughs> but it's keeping me warm. <laughs> it's like finding <laughs> something within the horrible to be positive about 
that doesn't take away from the fact that it's horrible and the reality of the situation, but is saying, I'm going to start from this, you know, because the, the thing is that the opposite of optimism is pessimism, right? And pessimism kills action. Right. And so you need that positivity in order to do something about it. Right. If you're if you're stuck in optimism, you're like, it's going to be okay no matter what I do. And if you're stuck in pessimism, it's, it's going to be horrible no matter what I do. Yeah. But if you are an idealist and you have positivity, you can say, this is awful and I'm going to do these three things to make it better today. And then tomorrow I'm going to do another three things and then I'm going to keep going until it does get better. Right. Right. And... Frankly, one of the reasons that I started to notice and like you in fandom around on Tumblr and stuff was that you are very positive and when you don't don't like something, you make something better and you don't get caught up in fights with other fans and you don't put things down just for the fun of it, which are both both traps I'm prone to falling into, which is how I noticed their absence. And I really admire that about you. I think you do concrete things to improve your community. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I certainly, like, I think one of the best things that's ever happened to me on Tumblr is I get these asks or, you know, like messages from people that are, that that say that, that say, Mm. I disagree with you, but you're so polite and good, like not in a fake condescending way, but in a, you know, we, (laughs) we can have a conversation about this on the same level and not put each other down. Right. Kind of way. And I appreciate that. Cause like I do. I I that's the community I want. That's like, you know, everything is community to me. I think that that's what we need to do is we need to build communities. Right. That that no man is an island and the only reason that humans have lived this long is because we're able to build communities and when they are you know, that's what, like, the whole point of something like Black Lives Matters means is that this is the community that needs our help right now. And right. it doesn't matter about the, all these other communities. This is the community <laughs> that needs help. We need to help these people. And we we all need to realize that it matters. Right. We, we need to do something for it. Save the whales doesn't mean fuck the dolphins. Exactly. No. Dolphins are whales. Fuck those <laughs> dolphins. They're whales. Dolphins are whales. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. When the campaign sharks, for... the whole, like, and I, I was like, if you can let me be a proud mama for a second. <laughs> My daughter, for her final project for global literature, mm. which, and you know, she has had a terrible year. Yeah. In school, can we just say it has been a horrible spring, and just. Getting to the point where we're doing our final project is like a huge win, <laughs> but it was about identity. She was writing her story, all the whole, all of the distance learning that we've done in this spring has been about reading other people's stories and the dangers of a single story and how mm. it's important to hear from many diverse voices. Yes. And even within the same community like even people who are identical in every other way will still have a different point of view right so one of these things that she had to do was 
to react to some of these like quotes mm-hmm. and I don't remember what the quote was that she was reacting to but her response was about the protests that are going on and it was all lives matters ignores the fact that black people need our help right now yeah yeah like and that's such a simple way of saying it and saying like this is this is just it's it's so easy to understand and we should just live it what your daughter was saying about needing many voices It occurred to me that an episodic structure with self-contained stories is a really wonderful opportunity for diverse writers who don't have the background and experience to get into the writer's room for discovery or something like that. This is where they can start. That's such a good idea. I would love if that was true. Yeah. I have... I have no idea how we can make that true, but I would love to somehow convince them that this is what we need they to give people i mean i sort of like to be fair mm. short treks is has tried to do that like tried to been like okay we're gonna give this random person a a short trek to do right yes but this is so, this is that on a bigger scale right exactly taking that to mm. the next level and i i think you're right because then it's it's like if it doesn't work, mm. it's only this one episode. Right, so who cares? right. And a, a, a writer's room for a serialized story, you need everyone there all the time. Whereas it seems like certainly in the 90s with, um, you know, the, the pitching process, people might only be in the writer's room for a couple of weeks and then they come and go and learn. And if, if they do well, then they're, they're added permanently. And so I was thinking about all the new writers and the really talented people that Star Trek discovered with its open door submission policy. And I don't think we can ever go back to those days. But at the same time, the world is full of talented, agented, diverse writers who are so hungry for their chance. This is their opportunity. It should be their opportunity. Uh, I know. 100%. I know. Mary Chifo and Bo Yon Kim have tweeted a lot about diversity in writers' rooms and the need for more people and more backgrounds in, in at, mm-hmm. at the writing level. And I'm like, I should tweet them and suggest this, and then they can move <laughs> it up the chain. Sure. Mm. Be brave. Mm. <laughs> you could do it. I, I was very eye rolly at the announcement that it would be episodic, but I'm starting to come around. I'm- I'm very, I'm really at the, whatever. Like, <sighs> yeah. as long as, as, okay, not whatever. Because if it is the worst possible scenario, mm-hmm. which is all white writer's room, you know, token diversity in casting kind of stuff, and, and there's still no queer people, for mm. example, because we sent them all to the... The 33rd century years in the, yeah 33rd century then i am opposed like and i don't want to be opposed to anything star trek but if it's something that i that doesn't do the bare minimum mm. in 2020 then i have to be opposed the thing is just because it's star trek doesn't mean i have to watch it 
Like, I know that we have this podcast and I have a blog and all that, but I can just say I'm going to nope out of this one. And just as I did with Enterprise years ago, I will watch it at some other time when I know that it will be followed by something better. Yeah, I'm at wait and see. Mm. I really feel like they rolled this out to distract us from the pandemic. Yeah. And the fact that we don't ha- we don't know when Discovery Season 3 is coming. Like, I really feel like that's why they did it. Oh, as absolutely. As opposed to this was planned. And so, like, they botched that announcement, but it was because they weren't ready for mm. it. Because, the, I mean, the... the Ethan Peck and Rebecca Romaine and Anson Mount were like in their living rooms in their house, right? Filming themselves on an iPhone. <laughs> so, like, that was not how it would have gone. <laughs> no, you think about you know, the announcement so of Star Trek the like, Card. Okay, you screwed that up, but I get that you were trying to do something positive because the world was horrible. Like, I mm. okay. But now you have to follow that up with really, like, fleshing out the whole rest of the crew, and I don't want to see a single white person. That's where I'm at. I don't know about everybody else. No, no, I'm so bored of white people in space. It's like, I'm done with that. We got got these three. That's enough. Yeah. Everybody else should be not white. I would like to see more than one third of the cast be women. What about 50%? Oh my gosh, what? What about a trans character? What about human non-binary people? Now you're just talking about, like, these are just pipe dreams. I know, SJW ticky boxes. What about a character in a wheelchair who is not Has a name? That too. You know, I'm just throwing ideas out there. I'm just very, it's like, guys... You gotta, you really have to follow up with something yeah. real. Yeah. It really, it, you really need to. You really desperately need to go forward with this. After Star Trek Picard, we really need more than a Black Lives Matter tweet and a Pride line for June. Right, exactly. Follow it up with the stories, please. Because that's what Star so. Trek is it's stories. And we need. Different types of stories. Lots of different types Mm. of stories. Which I guess episodic structure means in theory we can have. And I'm starting to come around to that idea because it means we can do silly little one-offs like sex pollen and this ambassador is weird and everyone has to put up with them and sort of small slice of life stuff like that. I'm not thrilled about it. I just need Spock and Remember one to make out. Yeah. Yeah. When the sex pawn happens. I really need that to happen. I know everybody wants, like, Pike in number one, but whatever. Spock in number one. <laughs> but why not Pike both? Pike gets <laughs> Lieutenant Ammon because I am, I am married to my headcanon that she has a crush on the captain. I want to know about the red-skinned, spiky woman who is apparently Yeoman oh. Cult. Like... Is she a shapeshifter? Was she taking a pleasing human form because she felt like she needed to fit in and she wanted the captain to think she was cute? And, and is now she... she's like, screw you people, yeah, I'm yeah. real. I am living my red spiky truth. Oh, yes! Red spiky truth! I, we just, hashtag. we found our episode <laughs> name. <laughs> and that's, oh my gosh. 
when I am feeling positive, which is not very often these days, and I realize that's about as much about my own state of mind as everything else in the world. No, it's the world. It's not. It's just not just you. No, but my brain is not helping. <laughs> but I think this is going to be a Star Trek, and it's going to do some things really well and other things really badly. Terribly. <laughs> and a lot of people are going to disagree on which is which. And so true. Good points. Good points. Thank good you. Points all around. See. I'm an optimist. I just really, um, really want to see them trying more than they have. I want, because this takes place in original series time period, mm. I really want, I want the work. I want the work between first contact and mm. original series that I didn't get in Enterprise, for heaven's sake. No. And I haven't really gotten in Discovery. No. And it was sort of hijacked <laughs> by... Control. Mirror Universe and... Yes. Yeah, exactly. AI and all this other stuff. In Section 31 mm. and whatever. Like, all this other stuff, which I'm, like, into. I'm not saying that that stuff is... No. Has no place. I'm totally into all of that stuff. But I want to see the work of how you get from past tense mm. to Captain Kirk. That would be great. And again, episodic structure means we can do that sort of broader world building. And it won't be necessarily deep world building, but it sets the foundations for future stories. Right. And I also really like the idea that Jeffrey Combs should play Dr. Boyce. Not because he right. looks like the actor who played Dr. Boyce. I just think at this stage he deserves a role in a Star Trek in the 21st century. It would be, it would be fun for him mm. to, like, you know, that's one of those, so like, fan service kind of things that I'd be into. I don't think Dr. Boyce should be a main character. No. I think he should be a recurring character and that it would be great. It would be like Star Trek royalty coming to play this character that was created for the original Star Trek, you know? Yeah, like that would yeah. Be such a uniting kind of, like, glue yes. to put it all together, and I, I think that would be cool. It would be fun. So I'm all for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Susie Plaxon as Laurel's mother, I still think is a stroke of genius on my point, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make it happen. Come on. CBS, just... Just this once, listen to me, but prioritise the diverse writer's room over Susie Plaxon. Sorry, Susie. I'm not saying we can't have both. I'm just recognising priorities. I just want to say, while we're on the people playing characters, mm. um, I saw a tweet that said that John Boyega should be cast as young Worf. And... <sighs> Like, I just want to say, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's interesting ideas in that. I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I really want a young Worf TV show. Although on one hand, Worf being the first Klingon in Starfleet, like dealing with that mm. mess that that is. I agree. Would be interesting. But also he's so young when Next Generation starts that I don't know how much room there is. Younger, right? How yeah, much younger yeah. Be, right? It would have to be like Academy, and I feel mm. like John Boyega is too old to be Academy. Yeah. Although he Klingons, I don't know. Klingons, well, whatever. 
But I was just like, hmm. But the point of this is cast John Boyega in Star Trek, mm. guys. That would be awesome. And don't even make him a Klingon. No! Make a great Klingon. He would. But make him, like, a heartthrob. Make him the... You know how I said last week that we should not have the ladies' man yeah. character? I stand by that. But if you're going <laughs> to have a ladies' man character, make it John Boyega. He is you, so physically beautiful like the way he is lit in the star wars movies is just extraordinary and he is so talented and he has revealed himself as being really thoughtful about social justice issues this week i I know he said some sexist stuff about ray but it's hardly the most egregious thing a man has ever said about a female character so i don't understand the urge to cancel him over that. I like John Boyega. I think he's lovely. I think he should be in Star Trek. I would like to see him playing a human or at least a Vulcan or something so that we don't cover up his lovely face. Right. We want to see his face. Yeah. You know how they like they decided to make both Kellar and Balana mm. half human because they wanted this they had to be still still had to be pretty. You're yeah. saying that John Boyega could play a half Klingon? Yeah, he could, if, he, if he has to be Klingon, he could be half, is what I'm saying. I'm kind of into that. Could he play Alexander? I know Alexander oh. has had like 50 actors so far, but what if he had a good one? Oh my god. I would 100% watch the Alexander show. Like, Alexander, he wouldn't be in Starfleet. No! He, would be, he wouldn't be a Klingon either. He would be like this awesome, like peacekeeping, going out, social justice warrior, Klingon, Alexander guy. It would be so good. And it should definitely be John Boyega. And I am 100% behind that idea. And I think we should make a petition. I really hate what Deep Space Nine did with Worf and Alexander. And so I really like the idea that he's like... Redeem. Yeah, yeah. I want him to be like the Fenris Rangers lawyer or something. (gasps) You're just making this better and better. <laughs> oh my gosh, if he was like with the Fenris Mangers, but he was the, the, the like Alicia Floric trying to keep them in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idealistic lawyer. He's like more or less following in his mother's footsteps, except in law instead of diplomacy. And, you know, yes, Your Honor, my, my client may have blown up a small asteroid but in fairness the asteroid was made of fascists or whatever alexander rojenko attorney at law i love this idea (laughs) you know how desperately i want a lawyer star trek (laughs) right i want a lawyer star trek show so badly i think so good i think this idea at least deserves a short trek oh my gosh like, I would fund it. <laughs> Not personally, but I'm willing to find the people <laughs> to put it, to get all the money in. Mm. I will kickstart this idea. Dear Mr. Boyega, would you be interested in being in a self-funded Star Trek fan film? <laughs> He'd be like, what? <laughs> Who are you people? <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm a real actor. I'm just Mm. He was worried about his career, and I'm just 
saying there's lots of options. We will keep him in work if we have to do it single-handedly. Ourselves. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are we done? Oh, we are done. <laughs> I feel like we... I don't even know what we talked about this episode at this point. But... Systematic injustice <clears throat> and Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> TLDR. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimetapod. You can find our show notes, which I assume are going to be long and detailed in this oh particular God. episode, <laughs> at antimatter.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures of my cute, adorable cat and Liz's monster cat. <laughs> He has redeeming And questions qualities. for our audience. To be fair, I have four cats, and I'm sure not all of them are cute and adorable. I love if every one of like them. If you like us, <laughs> leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us just like you did. And join us in two weeks for our 50th episode, which is a celebration because I cannot believe we've made it to 50 episodes. I'm very proud of us. When we started out, I was like, if we get 10, I'm going to call that respectable. Yeah, Yeah. we're definitely respectable. We are putting together a speed round of 50 topics in 50 minutes. This will be chaos. You should look forward to it. Let us know if you have a topic idea. Thank you for listening. The question is, like, if they give us a topic like Katrina Cornwell, can we keep it to 60 seconds? <laughs> well, we're going to have to have, like, a timer or something. It's going to be... Yeah. And yeah. we're done with that. <laughs> it's going to be great. Maybe we need a referee. I'm sure my flatmate will be overwhelmed with joy if I, if I invite her. <laughs> 